All right, we're there in 2 Samuel uh, chapter number uh, 16. Tonight we're going to make it through the, the uh, half of the chapter. We're going to go up to, cha- up to verse 13. And next week we're going to deal with the second part of the chapter. And we're going to talk about uh, David and his wife, Michal. Uh, but I want you to notice this chapter is an interesting chapter. Uh, because if you look at verse number 2, I want you to notice the Bible says there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 6 and verse number 2. It says, And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from uh, Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. So basically, the Bible tells us David arose to bring up the ark of God. And if you remember, the ark of God, and we're going to look at it here in a minute, was basically a box that was overlaid with gold, and it, and it represented the presence of God. It had the Word of God in it, and it had different uh, things in there, but the Ark of God represented the presence of God, and the Ark of God is not with the children of Israel at this time. If you remember back at the beginning of 1 Samuel, which we're going to look at it, we're going to do, do that scripture and, 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 and review all of that, but if you remember, the Israelites had lost a battle to the Philistines, and the Philistines had taken the Ark, and, it, and then the Philistines gave it back, but it never came back to uh, where it should have been. So this is what this chapter is dealing with. David arose to bring up from thence the ark of God, is what verse 2 tells us. And then in verse 3 we're told, And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and brought it out of the host of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. So they put the ark in a new cart. They built a new cart specifically to transport the ark. And they put the, they, they put the ark in this new cart. And then in verse number 6, the Bible says, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, or some people say Uzzah, put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. So you need to understand what's going on. The ark is in on a cart and it is being transported back to uh, where it should be. And as it's traveling, uh, it begins to, to shake. The oxen shook it and uh, Uzzah had every good intention to try to make sure that the ark doesn't fall on the floor. I mean, this is their most important uh, religious prized possession, and, and they have a lot of respect for it. They don't want it to fall off the cart onto the floor. So in verse number 7, the Bible says, and uh, uh, well, well, I'm sorry, in verse number 6, we're told that Uzzah put uh, forth his hand to the ark of God to, and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. So it, it started to shake. He puts his hand out to kind of keep it from falling, to, to make sure it's steady. And in verse number 7, the Bible says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. As soon as Uzzah touched that ark, the Bible says that God got angry and he killed him right there. Notice verse 8. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Azza and called the name of the place Perez Azza to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Now we got to lay a little bit of groundwork for you to understand what's going on here. Uh, so uh, keep your place there in 2 Samuel. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Exodus, second book in the uh, Old Testament, you got Genesis and then the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 25, just to lay a little bit of groundwork, because you may be looking at the story and saying, well, what's the big deal? You know, uh, why, why did God kill this man who was trying to hold the ark 
from falling onto the ground, you know, why, what, what was so terrible about this? Well, let's look at the book of Exodus, chapter number 25, and let's look at verse number 10. Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 10. The Bible says, these are the instructions of how to make the ark. In verse 10 it says, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Notice verse 12. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be on the one side of it, and two rings on the other side. So God told him, when you make, when you build the ark, this box, he said, I want you to put two rings on one side, and two rings on the other side, notice verse 13, and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be, and here's the key words, born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. So God said, when you make this ark, I want you to put rings on either side of it, and you're going to put staves on the other side of it. And when you need to move the ark, it is to be born. It is to be put uh, carried by four uh, individuals, not just any individuals. You're there in Exodus. Go to the book of Numbers. Let me give you another uh, reference. Numbers chapter number 4. You're there in Exodus. You're going to go past the book of Leviticus into the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 4. And look at verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. Numbers chapter number 4 and verse number 15. And when Aaron and his sons had made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is to set forward after that. So they're talking about getting everything put together because they're getting ready to move forward. Numbers 4, look at verse 15. Notice what it says. The sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch the holy things, notice this, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. God had told a specific group of people within the Levitical priesthood that it was their job to move the ark, and he had told them how they were to do it. They were allowed to touch the staves. They were allowed to pick up the ark, put it on their shoulder, and move with it. They were not allowed to touch the ark because it was a holy thing. And God had told them in Numbers chapter 4 and verse number 15 that if they were to touch the ark, that they would die. So if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, that should shed some light as to what's going on here because when David decides to bring the ark back, he puts it on a new cart. And when the cart begins to shake and Uzzah touches the ark, Numbers 4.15 is fulfilled because God strikes him dead. And that's what God had already said to do. Now you say, well, that's an interesting story. What can we learn from the story? There's, there, there's six things that I can see that we can learn from the story and are applied to our lives. And I'd like you to notice them with me. We won't be very long tonight. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want you to notice verse number 1 again. The Bible says, again, David gathered together. Why don't you notice this word, all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, okay? David was not alone in this thing. David had chosen, the Bible tells us, all, all of the chosen men of Israel. And it was 30,000 men that were with him that were tasked with this uh, idea of bringing the ark uh, uh, to uh, David. Notice verse 2, and David arose and went with, notice this word again, all the people, all right? Now, keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, but go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter number 13, all right? So you're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past First and Second Kings into the book of 1 Chronicles. 
First Chronicles chapter 13. So you're going to go first, second, past first, second Kings into first Chronicles, first Chronicles 13. Now, first Chronicles 13 is a parallel passage to second Samuel chapter six. And here's what I want you to say. First Chronicles 13 is a parallel passage to the first initial part of 2 Samuel 6, and then 1 Chronicles 15 is a parallel passage to the second initial part of 2 Samuel 6. So we're going to look at all of this together. It's Bible study night, so we're going to study the Bible, all right? I hope that's okay with you. But I want you to keep your place there in 1 Chronicles because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So put a ribbon there or a bookmark or something, but notice 1 Chronicles 13 and verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says, and David consulted. David did not just say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go get a car, and let, a new car, and let's go put the ark on this car and bring it up to us. No, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 6.1 that he did this with all the chosen men of Israel, that he did this with all the people. 30,000 men were with him, and here in 1 Chronicles 13.1, the Bible says, and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds. He got all the main people together, the main leaders, and he consulted with them and said, here's what we got to do, how are we going to do it? And with every, notice, with every leader, look at verse 2. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren. Notice, unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them that are also to the priests and Levites. They brought in some spirit. So they, they've got some military leaders saying, How do you think we should do this? They bring in some spiritual leaders, the priests and the Levites, saying, How do you think we should do this? Which are in the cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so. For, no, don't miss this. You ought to underline this in your Bible if you don't mind writing your Bible. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And here's what I, you say. What's the first lesson that we can learn from the story tonight? Here's the first lesson we can learn. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you. You need to make sure that the Word of God agrees with you. Amen. See, the problem is that God had specifically told him, when you transport the ark... When you move the ark, I want you to do it in a very specific way. And God had even told him, if you touch the ark, I'm going to kill you. He said, put rings on the sides of the ark. Put a stave on the ark. Bear it on a shoulder. Move it this way. And David, notice, he gathers all the captains. He gathers all the military. He gathers all the priests. He gathers all the Levites. He consults with everyone, but he doesn't ask God. He asks everyone, but he doesn't look at the word of God. Everyone said, notice, notice 13.4, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Keep your finger there. Go, go, with me to, go back to the book of Exodus. I meant to tell you to keep your place there, but it shouldn't be hard to find. Uh, second book in the Bible, Exodus 23, and look at verse number 2. Here's the point I want to make. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you or how many people disagree with you. All that matters is that you are following the Word of God. One of the biggest things, you know, that we've been attacked on when this whole uh, protest thing happened, one of the, you know, the emails I get and the voicemails I get, one of the biggest themes is, you know, there's no way you can be right. Everyone's against you. Everyone thinks you're wrong. Every Christian, you know, every pastor we've ever talked to, they've all said that what you said was wrong. Nobody preaches that. But listen to me. Here you have an example where the Bible tells us that the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And guess what? It was still wrong. 
And, and here's what the Bible says. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Are you there in Exodus 23? Look at verse number 2. Exodus 23 and verse number 2, the Bible says this. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Listen to me. It doesn't matter. You say, they, they, you know, they, they were lying. I mean, we saw news people saying 2,000 people were out there. I'll be honest with you. There was probably 400 people out there. I mean, there, there were probably as many people in the building as there were outside the building. But I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter if there's 1,000 people out there. It doesn't matter if there's 2,000 people out there. It doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people out there. Because it doesn't matter how many people think something's right or something's wrong. At the end of the day, God is the judge. God is the one who decides what's right or wrong. And listen, all of them said, I think this is a good idea. But when Uzzah put his hand to that ark, God killed him. The anger of the Lord was kindled. You said, well, and here's the thing. Everyone who said to God, well, no one else agrees with you, God. Everybody thought it was a good idea. But listen to me. It doesn't matter how many people agree with you or not. It doesn't matter if it's popular or not. It doesn't matter. Look, it doesn't, it doesn't and it shouldn't matter. All that it should matter is what does the word of God say? And we should not follow a multitude to do evil. Listen to me. I remember being a kid, my, dad, my, my mom and dad taught us as children. They said, whenever a crowd is doing anything, it's probably the wrong thing. Said, if mo- when most people are doing something, it's probably the wrong thing. Jesus said this, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Listen, you know, people say, every, you know, do you understand every Christian disagrees? You know, everybody disagrees with you. Look, the fact that everybody disagrees with us probably proves that we're right. Because the first thing we can learn is it doesn't matter. He consulted. He, he asked. Everybody came to an agreement. Everybody said, this is the right thing to do. And it was the wrong thing to do. It doesn't matter. You say, what's the first thing we can learn? Number one, if you're writing notes tonight, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Or it doesn't matter how many people will disagree with you. At the end of the day, you better just make sure God agrees with you. At the end of the day, you better just make sure you're following the word of God. If God tells you to transport that ark a certain way, it doesn't matter how many protesters are out there telling you, no, David, you're not doing it the right way. You just make sure you do it the way God told you to do it. Number two, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 2. 2 Samuel chapter 6. What the first thing we could learn is this. It doesn't matter how many people agree or disagree with you. Make sure God's word agrees with you. But let me, tell you, let me, let me show you the second thing we can learn from this passage. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 2. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Notice verse 3. And they set the ark of God, and I want you to just notice this phrase, upon a new cart, upon a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Azah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Now, I want you to understand something. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel and go with me back to 1 Samuel chapter number 6 and verse 1. Because you remember that when the children of Israel lost the battle of the Philistines, the Philistines took the ark. And I don't have time to, to go through it. We preached through the book of 1 Samuel verse by verse. Took many, many weeks to go through it. But if you remember when the Philistines took the ark, they placed it in front of their uh, idol of Dagon. And remember the first night Dagon fell over. They woke up and Dagon was bowing down to the ark. And they picked Dagon back up, 
And I don't know about you, but I don't, wanna, I don't want a God that needs my help. You know what I mean? But they picked Dagon back up, and then the next day, they went to bed, and the next day, Dagon was back down. But this time, he was uh, bowing down to the ark, and his head was cut off, and his arms were cut off. Remember that? And then they didn't know what they were supposed to do, and God gave them emrods. Do you remember that part of the Bible? And uh, the, in the Bible, a great book. And you say, what's an emrod? Well, you, the way you and I pronounce it, just put an H in front of it, all right? That's, that's what the, God gave them. And they were trying to get rid of this ark. And they, didn't, they say, well, what are we going to do to get rid of this ark? And in, second, uh, uh, and in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Bible tells us this. Look at 1 Samuel 6, look at verse 1. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviner, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. Because they're like, what are we going to do to get rid of this thing? You know, this thing is causing us problems. Skip down to verse number 7. We won't take the time to read the whole thing. I preached through this chapter. But I want you to notice verse 7. I want you to notice what the Philistines decided to do. Now, therefore, don't miss this. Notice, this is the Philistines talking. They said, now, therefore, make a new cart. Do you see that? And take two milch kind on which there hath came no yoke, and tie the kind to the cart, and bring their calves home from them. Now I want you to understand something. Many, many years later, when David is tasked with bringing the ark back, he thinks back and he says, well, I, I remember how the Philistines did it. The Philistines made a new cart, put the ark on a new cart, and brought it back to us in, 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 on that new cart, why don't we do the same thing the Philistines did and put it on a new cart? And listen to me. Today, there are Christians that are trying to figure out how do we do the work of God? How do we do uh, the will of God? How do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's what they're doing. They're looking at the world and saying, well, why don't we figure out how the world is doing it? Why don't we come up with a new method? Why don't we come up with a new prospect? Why don't we come up with a new cart to figure out? And listen to me, as Christians, we ought not be looking at the world and trying to decide, you know, well, this is how the world does it. Look, look, listen to me. At Verity Baptist Church, we are not interested in the new cart of the modern Bible versions. We're just going to stick to the old King James. We're just going to stick to the old paths. We don't need a new car. People say, well, you don't, don't you know the church on the street? They're, you know, they're running thousands, and they've got, they've got the new modern Bible version. They can have everything they want. They can do whatever they want. We're not interested in a new car. We're just going to stick with the King James Bible. Look, at Verity Baptist Church, I'll tell you this. We're not interested in the new car of contemporary Christian music. We're going to stick to these old hymns. We're going to stick to the hymn book. We're not putting screens up with a bouncing ball and we're all going to stand up and, and wave our hands. We're just going to stick to the old tried hymns. I'm not interested in new... You say, well, the, the world, you know, we got to get the world's music, add the name of Jesus to it. We don't need the new cart of the world. We don't need the ideas of the Philistines. We need to just stick to what God said and stick to what the Bible says. Listen, we don't need a new cart of the modern lifestyle evangelism. We're just going to keep doing door-to-door soul winning. You say, why? Because that's how God said to do it. And people say, that's so old-fashioned. That doesn't work anymore. You know, it's funny. People always tell me that doesn't work anymore. Yet, whenever it's a political season, I've got all these politicians knocking on my door, asking me for their vote. You know why they knock on my door? Because it's effective. And today, people are like, well, Pastor, are we still going to do door-to-door soul winning with all the protesting? We had, on Sunday, on Sunday, on the day of the protest, we had a group of soul winners go out. We had eight people saved, and no one mentioned one thing about our church in a negative light. 
Look, we need to just get a little boldness and not run, you know, run away every time someone gives us a bad look. And and let's just say, hey, we're just going to stick to the old paths. We're just going to stick to what God said. We don't need the new card of modern Bible versions. We don't need the new card of contemporary Christian music. We don't need the new card of lifestyle evangelism. We don't need dramas. We don't we don't need anything. We just need the word of God. We just need to do what God told us to do. And here you see David looking at the Philistines saying, well, it worked for them. But here's the thing. God wants it done his way. And God wants to make sure that we follow his word and do it the way he asked us to do. So what can we learn from this story? Number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree or disagree with you. All that matters is what the, that God agrees with you. Number two, we shouldn't be looking for a new method from the world. And, I'm, and don't misunderstand, we're not against technology. I, I'm, I, you know, we're, we're not against screens for the sake of having screens or against whatever. What we're against is this idea of trying to make church to feel as much like the world as possible. We're just not interested in the new cart. Number three, let me give you the third point. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Notice verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel, notice this, played before the Lord on all manner of instruments. This is before Uzzah dies. This is while they are actively doing church in unscriptural way. This is while God is up in heaven, not happy with how they're doing church, and, and just waiting for Uzzah to touch that ark so that he can kill him and make an example of him. And while they're doing this, notice verse 5, David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. You say, what, what can we learn from this? Listen, here's what we can learn from this. Don't decide how pleased God is with a church based on how emotional the service is. People will come up to me and say, Pastor, you preach against these liberal churches, but you know what? I went there, and you know, I mean, the lights were dim, and there was mist everywhere, and everybody was talking like this. And they were, you know, by the time we sang that, you know, the same stanza, that 53rd time, I mean, I just felt so emotional. And it was so spiritual. I was just moved. Listen to me. So was David. I mean, David, the Bible, he played before the Lord on all manner of instruments. I mean, they were having a worship service. I mean, they were getting down with it. I mean, they were like, this is great. This is wonderful. Look at our new car. Look at what we're doing for God. And God was not pleased. God was not happy. And you say, well, these churches, you know, they've got so many people. Hey, look, the kings have a lot of people. You think God's in it? I mean, look, a crowd does not equate godliness. In fact, usually a crowd equates compromise. Usually a crowd equates the fact that you're not willing to stand up and preach the word of God. And here, you know, they've got their little worship service. But listen to me. The Bible says this. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not enough. Oh, the spirit. But what about the truth? It was so great. But what about the word of God? God wants it done His way. God wants us to follow the Bible. And you say, but it was so, you know, so emotional and the service was so wonderful and I was so into it and I was crying. Hey, look, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Don't decide how pleased God is with a church based on how emotional their service is. Because here David was into it. They got the rock band out. I mean, they were with it. 
but God was not happy. Number, let me give you the fourth statement. I only have six. We're almost done. Look at first, Second Samuel chapter 6. Look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Azza put forth his hand. Now listen to me. His heart was in the right place. Azza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Listen to me very carefully. His heart was in the right place, but his hand was not. See, with God, you need to understand this. With God, methods are as important as motives. It's not enough to say, well, my heart's in the right place. I'm trying to serve God. God wants your motives to be right, and God wants your methods to be right. And, and by the way, let me say this. It's not, it's not okay to, to have right methods and to have an impure heart and to be a hypocrite either. To say, oh, I'm right on all of this. Yeah, but, but your heart's not right. But your heart's not. God wants your motives and your methods. And here you have a man who his heart was in the right place. All he was trying to do was help. He was just trying to hold up the ark and make sure it didn't fall. But God smote him. And here's what I want to say. Number four, just because you don't know what the Bible says doesn't mean you will not be accountable for what the Bible says. Just, you say, well, Azza must have not known. Listen to me. Just because you go to a church, just because these liberals go to a church that doesn't preach the Bible, that doesn't tell them what the Bible says, that cuts out entire sections of Scripture, just because they don't know what the Bible says doesn't mean God will not judge them for what the Bible says. See, people come to this church, they're like, man, I come to this church and I just learned so much and I'm accountable for all these things. Do I really want to come here? But here's the thing. You're accountable for it whether you know it or not. God will judge you for it whether you know it or not. You will pay the consequences for it, whether you know it or not. So wouldn't it be better to just learn what the Bible says and try to make sure you're following God to the best of your ability? Azza was not a bad man. He was just in a bad church. He was in a church that was more interested in the music service than in the preaching service. He was with a leader that was more interested in getting the approval of all men instead of getting the approval of God. And at the end of the day, it cost him his life. And listen to me, there are... Christians or so-called Christians in all these churches, their marriages are falling apart, their children are falling apart, everything in their life is falling apart. They're like, I don't know why nothing's working out for me. And it's because they're in these churches where they're not being told what the Bible says. And just because you don't know what the Bible says doesn't mean you will not be accountable for what the Bible says. Methods are important, but so are motives. And motives are important, but so are methods. And God wants both. So what have we learned from this story? Number one, it doesn't matter how many people agree with you. Make sure God's word agrees with you. Number two, we shouldn't be looking for new methods from the world. Number three, don't decide how pleased God is based on how emotional the service is. Number four, just because you don't know what the Bible says doesn't mean you will not be held accountable for what the Bible says. Number five, look at verse number eight. Second Samuel chapter six and verse eight. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and called the name of the place Perez Azza to this day. And David was, I want you to notice this. This is what David lacked before. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside unto the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite three months. 
And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now, we're going to talk about this here in a minute, but I want you to understand something. David, the second time he tries to bring it, he does it right. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But look at verse 13. And it was so that when they bear the ark of God, of the Lord, that the, uh, of the Lord, had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David, noticed danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. Please understand this. The problem with David was that he was not afraid of God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to know what's wrong with the contemporary Christian movement today? Is they're a little too casual with God. They're, they're, they're just not really afraid of God. You know, they see God as Santa Claus up in heaven, and he brings you a gift whether you're naughty or nice, and he's just this old jolly man. But listen to me. God wants us to shape the way we see of him in a way that we fear God. We, it, you say, Pastor Ben, why do you preach these things that are not popular? Because I'm afraid of God. Because I will stand before God one day, and I'll have to answer for the things that I did in this ministry, and I'd rather please him than them. I'd rather please him than you. I'd rather please him. Why? Because I fear God. And the problem with these people is they don't fear God. But you know, now David is afraid of God. And notice what happens when David gets afraid of God. Now, not only is there praise, but there's sacrifice. Look at verse 13 again. And it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, uh, when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fat. Please understand what's going on here. Before they were bringing the ark on a cart, and they were having their little praise and worship session, and they're partying, and everything is great. So God got mad. Now, they're having, no, notice verse 14, and David danced before the Lord. They're still, they're, he's still dancing. With all his might, and David was girded with an ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. There's nothing wrong with shouting. There's nothing wrong with singing. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But here's the difference. Now, notice the last part of verse 13. He sacrificed oxen and fat. You know what they're doing? They're taking six steps, and then he's performing a sacrifice. He's taking six steps, and he's performing a sacrifice. See, now David has the praise, but he also has the sacrifice. Now he's honoring God. Now he's fearful of God. Now he sees God as a holy God. And he's giving God his due sacrifices as they're bringing the ark. His attitude has changed. Listen to me. Our attitude with God ought to be an attitude of reverence. He's a holy God. We, you, some of the people say, well, why, why, do you, why do you tell these guys when they get up and preach that they've got to preach with a shirt and tie on? You know, I saw Rick Warren preaching with flip-flops and a Hawaiian T-shirt. Well, look, I, it's, it's not that Hawaiian T-shirts are sinful. I like Hawaii. I, you, I've never been there, but I think, I'm sure it's nice, okay? It's not that Hawaiian T-shirts are bad. Here's all I'm saying is when we approach the Word of God, I want to make sure we approach it with the right attitude. You say, well, you tell people to wear their shirt and tie when they preach the word of God. Why? It's not because I'm special or they're special, but this book is special. And we need to approach it properly. We need to approach God fearfully. We need to understand that we serve a God that is, I, I know today it's like God is love and that's all. But you know what? God also gets angry. We serve a God of love, but guess what? We also serve a God of holiness. And we also serve a God that wants things done the right way. So we learn here that the problem with the contemporary movement is that they lack a fear of God. Make sure you don't lack a fear of God. The Bible says that we ought to fear 
Him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell and to not fear them, which can only kill your body. You say, Pastor Jimenez, you know, you're getting all these death threats. And listen to me, I'm getting death threats. And, you know, we're, we're sleep. you know, my, fa- my entire family is sleeping in our master bedroom, and I've got a loaded gun next to the pillow. And so, you know, forgive me if I don't feel too bad for you that we're asking you to walk across the parking lot, all right? You know, forgive me if I don't feel too bad for you that we're asking you to w- come in through a building with four protesters telling you something, you know, cursing at you. Listen to me, you say, aren't you afraid? I'm not afraid at all. You say, why? Because all they can do is kill the body. I'm afraid of him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. Look, when you fear God, everyone else just, you know, just doesn't look that bad. Everyone else just doesn't look that fierce. Everyone else just doesn't look that terrible. When you're afraid, look, I, I'm, you say, well, you know, you preach those things about the Sodomites. You know, aren't you afraid what they're going to do? I'm afraid what God would do to me if I didn't preach those things against Sodomites. I'm afraid what God would do to this church if I chose to just skip certain sections of the that's what That's what I'm afraid of. I'd rather have God on my side. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 6, look at verse 13. Let me give you the sixth point. And it was so that when they that, I want you to notice, when they that bear the ark. You see that? No more cart. The cart's gone. They fixed the problem. When they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six places, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Now, Go to First Chronicles chapter 15. Remember I told you First Chronicles 13 and 15 were parallel passages? I want you to notice in First Chronicles 15, we're given more of an idea of what happened here. Notice what the Bible says in First Chronicles 15. Just look at verse number 2 for sake of time. First Chronicles 15. We're, we're doing okay. We're going to be done in 15 minutes. So we'll, you'll be fine. First Chronicles 15. Look at verse 2. Then David said, None, notice what he says. This is after Uzzah dies. He takes some time to say, what happened here? What did we do wrong? Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. Looks like David went home and started reading the Bible a little bit. Looks like David went home and said, okay, what did we do wrong here? What happened here? He opened up the book of Exodus. He opened up the book of Deuteronomy. He started reading what God's word said. He said, hey, guys, listen, listen. Here's where we messed up. None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God. Look down at verse number 12. And said unto them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye might bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him, don't miss this, for that we sought him not after the due order. You know what David found out? We can't just approach the God, or come to God any which way we want. We need to come to God by his standards, by his order, the way he wants us. And he says, hey, Here's where we messed up, guys. You guys were supposed to carry the ark, and that's why Uzzah died. Look at verse 13. For because you did not at the first, the Lord God made us a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon. And Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. Here's, here's point number six. When you find out that what you're doing does not line up with the word of God, change it. You know why David was called a man after God's own heart? 
I believe one of the main reasons that David is called a man after God's own heart is because whenever, when Nathan puts his finger in front of David and says, David, thou art the man, David was different than Saul in the sense that Saul started making all these excuses. No, 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 no. it was the people, and it was this, and it was that, and it was your fault, Samuel. But, but when David was confronted with something that he was wrong, as the leader, he was willing to say, you know what, I messed up, guys. You know what, we didn't do the right thing, guys. David was the type of man that when he found out that what he was doing did not line up with the Word of God, he was willing to change. He wasn't too proud, too arrogant to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. That wasn't the right thing to do. And listen to me. You know, you know what I've noticed with people when people leave our church? And listen to me very carefully. We have people leaving our church like every week, okay? People are constantly joining and leaving the church. Sometimes I can't even tell, you know, uh, who's coming or going. But I'll be honest with you. We just went through probably the most, the biggest battle our church has ever gone through. You know, I'm not saying that we'll never go through another battle that's harder than the one we just went through. But we just went through the biggest battle we've ever had in the last five and a half years of Verity Baptist Church. And I'm not going to lie to you, there were some casualties. I mean, we lost some people as a result. And I'm not, you know, several people, several, several people have gone. And, and, and listen to me. Whenever people leave our church, and people leave our church all the time, I don't ever attack people. You know, I don't ever start sending out emails saying this person and that person or attack them from the pulpit. But here's, here's you know, if you want to you make an enemy of Pastor Roger Jimenez, listen to me, this is how you do it. You leave our church and then you start sending emails or start sending text messages or start sending Facebook messages about how, you know, you're leaving because you're right with God and we're not. You know, people have to spiritualize because no one wants to say this, I'm a coward and backslid and that's why I left. You know, so you got to figure out a way to say like, no, 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 I'm actually a spiritual one and you guys are all wrong. You know, and, and people are doing that right now. And, and, you know, I think it's hilarious. You know, people are saying, you know, I, I left Verity Baptist Church because I don't believe that reprobate, you know, I don't believe that sodomites can be saved. Oh, I believe that sodomites can be saved, and I can't agree with the reprobate doctrine anymore. Here's what's funny about that. The thousand protesters were told out there, you know that they weren't protesting because we don't believe sodomites can't be saved? You know why they were protesting? Because we believe sodomites uh, should be put to death according to the laws of God. That if God ran a nation, God would put the death penalty on them. And let me say this. Those two things are not connected. Because you know what? We believe that, uh, we believe that people who commit murder should be put to death. But I believe that someone who commits murder can be saved. So don't tell me, oh, I'm quitting because I don't believe the reprobate doctrine. That's not what the battle was about. And by the way, let me say this. Anyone who believes that a homosexual can be saved, here's what they're saying. We should bring homos into the church. Because what do you do with someone when you get them saved? You get them baptized. You teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. So someone says, I think sodomites can be saved. Here's what they're saying. I want to bring sodomites into church. And at Verity Baptist Church, we're never bringing sodomites. Amen. They're never welcomed here. Amen. We will physically remove them from the building. And, you know, so this idea. And here's what I think is funny. And here's why I love being the pastor of Verity Baptist Church. Because here's what I can say to anyone at any time. That's what we believe when you got here. It's not, like, it's not like, you know, Pastor Jimenez was like, we love the homos, we want to bring them in, let's, let's get their little lavender shirt, and we'll just get them a little section somewhere. And then like a year ago, I'm like, I'm changing everything, now we hate them. Guess what? You know, they're like, uh, the, you know, the message needs to be preached with grace and truth and love. 
Pastor Jimenez is too angry. Guess what? Pastor Jimenez was angry two years ago when you got here. Pastor Jimenez was angry five years ago when you got here. Nothing has changed. This is what we believe. You're, you preach about the women wearing pants. I preached about women wearing pants from the day one of this church. So don't come to me saying nothing changed. I'll tell you the one thing that changed, protesters. I'll tell you the one thing that changed, persecution. And look, you want to leave here and you want to just leave quietly, go for it. And you want to leave here. I had a family come to me and said, Pastor Jimenez, we love you. We love your family. We love this church. We agree with everything you've said, but we can't be a part of a church that is known as being a hateful church. You know what? I don't agree with your, with your position, but I respect that. If you're willing to say, I just can't deal with the heat, I'll respect that. But if you're going to try to walk out of here and act like, oh, well, you know, I was never really on board. Hey, you, this is what we've always believed. Amen. I didn't say anything different. On that Sunday night, we were walking out of here, we are laughing. Yeah, probably nothing's going to come from that sermon. I said absolutely nothing different than I've ever said. And, of course, it blew up. But listen to me. Don't, this is the type of Christian that you and I have to be to be able to say, I was wrong. I, w- I made a mistake. You know, but if you're the type of person that cannot be corrected, and you just, whenever you're wrong, you got to try to figure out a way to, no, no, it's actually it was this reason and that reason, you're not right with God. Amen. And you're not a man after God's own heart. And I'm not against people that leave our church. I love people that leave our church. We've had people in this room right now who quit our church slammed the door on the way out, cursing my name, and then they came back and, you know, because they, they, they forgave me for whatever I said and they came back. People right now, I, didn't, I never attacked them, never said anything negative about them, but you know what? They also didn't go around and had an email campaign against me. And you want to fight with me? Hey, look, you're picking the wrong time. If there's ever a time I've been irritated, it's now. You know, I've got all these things to deal with. My son's not doing well with his health. You want to fight? Let's fight. But, you know, this idea, and let me say this, anyone who's spreading gossip about our church, you need to just cut them off. You need to rebuke them sharply. I told my wife, anybody who's spreading, you know, putting this trash out there, you just rebuke them sharply. Talking about the ladies dealing with her. Obviously, I'm not going to yell at a lady. But listen to me. When we find out that we're doing something wrong that doesn't line up with the word of God, then you should change. And if you're not willing to change, then at least have enough integrity to say, I changed. I'm the coward. I'm the one that just couldn't deal with the persecution. Don't try to blame it on us like we did anything different than we've ever done. Because guess what? Nothing's changed. We've been preaching the exact same thing from day, day one. Go back, to, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I don't know where you're at. Look at verse number 13. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces... He sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. I just want to end with this idea. When you know that you're doing everything the way that God wants you to do it, it brings joy into your heart. It brings peace into your heart. Say, Pastor, you know, how, can, how do you feel about all these people, you know, hating, hating us? I, I'm fine because I, I know that we're doing the right thing in the eyes of God. And, you know, I, you know I, don't, I don't dance just because I'm a fundamental Baptist. But if I was David, I could dance before the Lord right now, you know. If some of you guys can dance. Please don't, you know. Just do it at home. But, you know, what? in my heart, I'm dancing before the Lord right now. And in my heart, I, I'm so proud of our church and the way that you've united and the way that you've just, you know, I, I'm just so 
impressed. But let, let me just end with saying this. We need to stick with those who are doing right, not with those who are popular. We need to approach God in the due order. And, you know, and he, here's the message I, I have, because here, here's what irritates me about Christians today. And I'm so irritated at these fundamental Baptists now, right now that are just turning their backs on us or speaking against us. Because here's what, you know, I heard Pastor Donnie Romero make this statement. I thought it was a great statement. Here's what Christians do today. They'll, they'll, they'll draw a line in the sand and say, here's where we stand and we're going to fight. And then the sodomites cross that line. And you know what they do? They just draw another line. <laughs> well, here's where we stand. And then they cross that line. And it's like, well, okay, well, how about here? You know, people today are like, well, you know, your message, I'm just not willing to die on that hill. Here's a question I have for you. What, willing, what hill are you willing to die on? I mean, what battle are you willing to fight for? What, where, where, where do they go too far? What, where does it just get too much? At some point, we got to draw the line and actually stand at the line and say, no, we're not taking anymore. And I don't care how many people we lose. I don't care if I show up on Sunday and the only people I have to preach to are my wife and my children. I will preach to those kids and we will raise men with hair on their legs and a backbone that aren't going to make decisions based on money or fear. We're going to stand up for God. And if, if the world doesn't like it, you know what? Nuts to the world. Because we are trying to follow God. And let me tell you this, you know, here's a message I've got for everyone that's just cutting out on us because they don't want to fight. The next time you see some, you know, don't quit, quit posting on Facebook about Target if you're not willing to take a stand against them. And I'm not talking about boycotting Target, I'm just talking about fighting the battle. Don't talk to me about Starbucks. Somebody said, you guys put Starbucks cards on your thing. You know, don't you know they support the homos? Hey, look, do you think I support the homos? Just Google my name, all right? You know, you know don't, don't talk to me about all this when you're not willing to stand up and fight. And let me say this. The next time you see some gay pride parade, some homosexual agenda being continued to be crammed down our throat by the government or by the media or by liberal businesses like Chipotle and Target or Starbucks or whatever, let me tell you something. Here's my message I have for those that are quitting our church or leaving us for this, for the, for this debacle we had. You know, just remember this. There was someone willing to stand against that movement, and you weren't willing to stand with them. Amen. You know, the next time you read on the news that some child was violated by some pervert predator, just remember, there was someone who was willing to stand against them, and you weren't willing to stand with them. You know, the next time you hear about people losing their rights to speak out against, uh, you know, things they don't agree with. And, he, you know, here's another great quote by Pastor Romero. You know, the, all these Christians today are like, people like Pastor Jimenez and people like Pastor Anderson. And you know what? Praise God for Pastor Anderson, who not only has the guts to, like, stand with us, he put his money where his mouth is and sent, like, 50 people from Faithful Word and paid for their gas and lodging just to show support for our church. You know what? And praise the Lord for that. And, and, but people today are like, you know, men like Pastor Anderson, men like Pastor Romero, men like Pastor Medes, they're going to cause us to lose our right. Your right to, to what? To not say anything anyway? To not offend anyone anyway? Well, we want to have the right to do it. Well, when are you going to do it? When are you going to get up and actually preach and say something and take a stand? You know, the next time you hear about, uh, you know, pastors being bullied and persecuted for simply preaching the Bible, and you're just like, I can't believe, just remember that there was someone, there was a church that was willing to fight that fight, and you weren't willing to stand with them. Amen. You know, because somebody has to fight that battle. 
And I'm sick and tired of this sissy Christianity that in theory wants to fight the world until it's actually time to start swinging. And you know what? You know, people are like, oh, you're, you're, you know, all these jokes about you're just this little guy, blah, blah. Hey, cut, you know, if I'm so little, then come at me. Let's try it. You know, some guy on the radio is like, you know, because he, he says something to me, and he's like, don't go there, Mr. Jimenez. You're going to regret it. I'm like, look, I don't know if you've been watching the news. I don't regret anything I say. Amen. A thousand people show up to tell me they hate me. I don't care that John McGinnis on the radio doesn't like me. Amen. You know what? As long as God likes me, as long as God likes my message, as long as God is pleased. And you know what? Let me just help you. In our lives, let's make sure that we're doing right before we get all wrapped up in everyone liking us. Because you know, at the end of the day, God's going to judge. I will stand before God, you will stand before God, and I need to make sure that I, that I can say I did everything I was supposed to do. To the best of my ability, reading the Bible, we took the right stand. We did it in the right order. Let's bow our heads and have a word.